We're rolling. All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is, with that being said, a Roof Fitness podcast. I have with us Michelle Washington from Lanyard Fitness. She is the owner. Um, and Randy Smith, one of the long-term members over at uh, Lanyap. So uh, I know Michelle from Wadi Gras. Yes. And and being around and and Randy has just been a fixture in the everywhere. <laughs> in the just I was gonna say, where do you know me from? Let's see, because I don't know if I remember. It's been a in bunch the of uh, New Orleans CrossFit community. Awesome. Um, so I'm excited to have both of them here. Uh, I feel like this is a serious podcast, and it's serious because um, I wouldn't say that there's a giant. Well, maybe you could say there's a divide in the country right now. Oh, I would definitely say so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of people searching for things that they can do. Um, and so one of the things that I want to do is try to paint a picture of understanding. Because um, I don't think people realize exactly what's happening right. on a daily basis to African Americans, people of color, um, any race that isn't white. Okay, Um, and I think there what's happening right now is there is a giant wake up call with the amount of videos that are being posted right now on social media. I'm flabbergasted every day. Look, uh, nothing's ever happened to me and I'm exhausted from watching them. And I don't mean that in an offensive way. I mean that I just flabbergasted every single day. Right. Um, and so here we are. I do want to give a little bit of uh, some background information. So let's start with you, Michelle. Um, you've owned Lanyap for a year now? No, it's actually been six months. So, I am yes. terrible with time. <laughs> That's okay. This, this October. So a few, a few months now. So it seems like it was shorter because we have the break with um, COVID. The COVID. But yeah, yeah we're, we're back at it. So yeah, it'll be seven months actually now in June. And so. Lanyap is fully open. Um, yes. Those who don't know, Lanyap is on Broad, across from the Whole Foods, well, off yes. of Broad. What street? Uh, Toulouse. Toulouse. 27, 26, Toulouse? Yes. Sweet. So right um, if you're in Mid-City and you're looking for a place to work out or and anywhere in that area, come see Michelle. Awesome. Um, so, <laughs> nice. Plug in your gym. Oh, yeah. appreciate that, man. Thank you. Um, so, Michelle, how did you get into CrossFit? Um, well, it started, well, so I've always played sports all throughout high school. So I've always been like really, really active, um, always was involved in something. And then I actually worked at the vitamin shop through college. So when I was there, um, one of the guys that used to come shop was like, hey, you know, you look like you work out, come check out my gym. I'm like, what? Like it's CrossFit, you know, and then you start YouTube and everything and you're like, I can't do that. Like the hell? And then finally he came in, kept asking me, asking me, he's like, look, just come try it out. Went there, tried it out. Absolutely fell in love with it because I felt like I was back in high school, back in like that mindset of like just competition and like just sweating and lifting weights again. Um, So then after that, I just pretty much fell in love with it. Uh, That's actually where I met Randy at. That was one of our first gyms together. Um, And that was what, five years ago? It's been a little bit over five years, maybe five and a half years. Five and a half years ago. Right. Um, Michelle, what did you play? What sports did you play? uh, I did basketball and I did track. So, and that was through high school and college, yeah. So, and I played ball at UNL as well. You You were in track. I did, yeah. What? All right. That, that, a, that explains Monday's workout. I'm a huge... <laughs> I, couldn't, I, Tuesday, I couldn't keep up with him. Like, <laughs> I'm a huge uh, 
track fan. Really? Oh, yeah. And I, I'm training with uh, Joe Green right now in the 400. So. Oh, okay. That's actually what I ran. Yes. I did the okay. 400, the 4x4, and the 300 hurdles. Ooh. So. Can you tell I'm people? I'm going to guess you can't keep up with Joe. No, Gerald's an Olympian. Yeah, he's, he's, an, he's an Olympian. That's fact. Gerald is an Olympian. Uh, can you tell everybody real quick, and this is off topic, but how hard the 400 meter is? It's very hard. <laughs> you get like past the 200, the second 200 is a whole, like that's that's life they say at, just, at that point. They say yes. just hold on, right? Yes, it's <laughs> like your legs just cramp up. It's, yeah, it's definitely life or death. Now, so. Michelle, I don't. did you grow up here? No, I actually grew up in Lacombe, which is like, Mississippi, 10 right? Minutes. No, 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 it's, it's in, in Slido. Yeah, yeah, it's like Jeez. 10 minutes from Slido. Okay. So. All right. And so you went to. Uh, I went to two high schools. I went okay. to high school in Mandeville, uh, Fountain and then I also got transferred from there to Slido, which was North Shore High School. And what made you decide to move to the South Shore? Um. Well, school. So I went to uh, UNO out this way, um, just to kind of get away from that area, and just fell in love with New Orleans, and just been out here ever since. So. Nice, nice. I plan on going back. <laughs> now, Randy, what about you? How'd you get involved in CrossFit? So, uh, I was a member at Elmwood Fitness Center. 10, 11 years, probably from the time I got out of, uh, out of college when I moved back home to New Orleans. And um, I was in the gym one day, and one of my friends who was an assistant manager said, Randy, you should try this new class out that we're doing. Um, this lady named Joette is going to be teaching it. It's, it's called OSS, Olympic Speed and Strength. And I had no idea what that meant, and I gave it a shot, and it turned out to be very similar to what CrossFit apparently was. And Joette was an excellent coach. To this day, she's a very good friend of mine. She's now part owner at Full Bore South, and uh, so she got me involved. I give her all the credit. And so I started doing that, and she ended up telling me, hey, there's another gym I also go to, Supra. You should come there on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And she pulled my arm and twisted it, and I gave it a shot, and I've never turned back. So that's how I ended up meeting her. And at that time, uh, some members from there decided to leave and start Lanyap. Uh, Chandler Davis was the, the owner of Lanyap at the time. And I was like, hey, I'm going with y'all. And it's never stopped. So you, uh, just so everybody has some background, Randy posted this sweet-ass picture of himself from high school the other day in his football <laughs> oh, uniform, yeah. right? <laughs> what do you have here? Hey, man, when I, say, <laughs> when I say some topics are off limits, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll put it out there. So I'm obviously uh, not ashamed of it. So, Randy, you went to... McDonald's 35, 35, right? Yes, uh, McDonald's 35, Ron Eagle. Not to be mistaken with John McDonald. A lot of people mistake the two schools. We were rivals. Um, so I played football in John McDonald's in the French Quarter? No, so John McDonald used to be on Esplanade, which is now Bricolage. It's okay. no longer John McDonald. It's on Esplanade about two blocks from Broad. Okay. Uh, McDonald's 35 used to be about a mile and a half uh, toward the French Quarter. Not on the French Quarter side, but on the opposite side of Esplanade. And... Uh, that school building closed down some years ago, and they built a brand new facility on the bayou right across from. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. Fifty-five million dollars school. Yes, it oh, looks. Wow. It looks like nice. A, it looks like <laughs> a college <laughs> campus. Say, yeah. yeah, and if you saw the building that I, the, the, when I went to school there, uh, we always called it a prison. There was no windows, and it was one big cement structure. Amazing school. Right. Um. You know, I have no regrets about going to McDonald's thirty-five. It was my foundation. But yeah, that was where I got my most of my, my athletic background. I started playing football at eight years old. That was really my sport. And then when I got to high school, I ran. I was on the track team. <laughs> there you go. I was on the track team. Uh, I won't say I ran track. I was inserted into a, an 800-meter race once. Ooh. I will not oh, tell you the outcome. probably bad. Do you it's think th- you could beat your old time now? I think you can. I'm sure I can. Yeah. Yes. Believe it or not, at 39 years old, you would think no, but I actually know so much more now, and I'm actually a lot more prepared physically 
in my brain. Right. And in my brain. So the, ironically, maybe yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I have the stupidity in me, in me anymore, so I wouldn't try to do some of those things. But it's it's funny, CrossFit has actually done that, and that's a great question because at this age, I think I can do some things better than what I did it when I was 16, 17. Randy, where'd you grow up? In the Seven Ward, right, uh, right in the city park. Uh, so the Seven Ward, for those that don't know, the Fairgrounds area, City Park, LSU Dental School, that was my neighborhood, my stomping ground. So New Orleans has been home. Um, I now live in Elgiers, which is still Orleans Parish people. Still Orleans. <laughs> I, know, I know people think it's not. So they I'm confuse a, that with Gretna. Gretna's Jefferson Parish, Algiers is Orleans. Two very different places. Two very, different very different places. Very different places. Maybe we'll get into that. Right. <laughs> and look, uh, I, I have love for Gretna. My wife's salon is in Gretna. Well, it used to be, actually. We just moved. No, it's still Gretna. It's a different part. Not Harvey. Um, so... I got love for Gretna in some ways. Yeah, I feel um, But Algiers is home. I'm considered a transplant, as you can call it. Uh, I moved there right after Katrina. Okay. And that's been home ever since. And now my kids are technically from Algiers. Oh, and you forgot you went to LSU. And I went to LSU. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's correct. You forgot that. I, forget that's, that. that's correct. So I left 35 and spent four and a half years at LSU and got a big opportunity to work back home in banking. And that's what I came back to do. And uh, that's been all she wrote. Um, so banking, what do, you, what do you do now? So I spent 10 years working in banking with Hibernian Capital One, and uh, around the end of my tenure, one of my big customers at the time, over some cocktails at a tailgate, made me an offer to come work in engineering. And no, I'm not an engineer, so if I ever you know, advise people on how to build or design a road or a bridge, don't drive on it. <laughs> uh, my job is business development, so I'm the guy that goes out shockingly and talks about it. Uh, so you know, I, I build relationships with a lot of local government clients, so I'm very involved in politics, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, Jeez, so we can do a whole other podcast with you. It's a whole other <laughs> Yeah, we can talk about that forever, trust me. And I don't even know if I want to do that one. But, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm doing business development for an engineering firm, and I love what I do. And my job, essentially, is to be the eyes and ears on the street for my company. That's awesome. Essentially a lobbyist on behalf of my, my organization. All right. Well, let's jump into it, because I was listening to... Um, the podcast with Elijah Muhammad today from Make Pods Great Again. Um, and he was talking about, uh, let's see, maybe, I, I don't know if discrimination is the word with CrossFit, but there's a there's not a lot of black people in CrossFit. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Facts. Yeah. We talk about that. We talk about it all, all the time. time. Right. Yes. Yeah. And let's work our way back first. When you were getting into CrossFit, did that cross your mind at all? Not that it, I was about to say, not that it crossed my mind, but it's something that I've noticed noticed. as I've grown. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always kind of seen CrossFit as like a predominantly white sport. Um, So like I said, it was something that, it definitely crossed my mind, but then the older you get, the more perspective you get, the more you're like, wait, there's not a lot of black people, you know? And then it's like, when you travel to different gyms and then, you know, you go out of state and you're like, wait, there's still not a lot of black people. So you just, sometimes you really don't know if it's like, just the gym that you're at, the area that you're at, or if it's just a known thing. And yeah, as you grow older and you do more and you understand life, like, yeah, it's just a known thing. So um, that's definitely something that we try to, you know, advocate and try to create more of a diverse community because it's such a good thing to bring people together. But yes, it definitely does lack color um, in that aspect. So 
And then I don't know if you want to chime in. Yeah, what do you think, that. Randy? I absolutely noticed it. Um, did, but did you know before? Or? I didn't know before because, and I think it's because I just didn't know much about CrossFit, period. Right. Um, now, let me just give a little bit of digression because I don't want to totally mislead people about my knowledge of CrossFit. When I first started in CrossFit, I had some knowledge of it, but it was really like YouTube clips. Yeah. Um, I was very intrigued by the power clean movement, which I did some of in high school, a little bit in college, but I always thought it was a movement that I really enjoyed to do. Yeah. So I would be the weird guy in Elmwood Fitness Center doing hang cleans. Yeah. Probably not properly, um, but probably better than anyone else in Elmwood Fitness Center. And so I was always kind of intrigued by it because I saw the level of competition that it seemed to bring out in people. But there was no question, it was something I noticed from the very beginning, why there are not more black people in CrossFit. Now, it didn't take me long to understand why. Um, it's no different than why, historically, we haven't had a lot of black people in golf. Culture drives a lot of that issue. Um, and I don't want to use the word issue, but to me, it can be an issue because it's something that I think black people should be doing. It's so, health and fitness. So what, what do you think, though? I mean... Why? And look, to explain to explain say. culture, man, we may need an hour and a half to really deep dive into it, but it's just not something that in many black communities it was it was it hadn't been introduced for one reason or another. Um and think about what culture means for a lot of people. I'm a big believer in I don't think that the color of your skin necessarily um it doesn't necessarily determine your culture, but it's a factor in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because Generally, as people, we like to hang around and talk with and be around people that look like us, think like us, and act like us. So very often, we don't get a chance to cross-communicate with other cultures because selfishly, we try to stay in our comfort zone. Right. And for one reason or another, I don't know if it's my parents giving this to me or my days at LSU, um, I've always been a big believer in I want to reach outside of my culture to learn and educate myself of what other people are doing and mm -hmm. why. Um, because I think it helps me to grow. It helps me to understand what I'm not going to do. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, if we start to learn more about what each other, what each each other person's culture is about and what they're doing, we can start to learn that, man, we all like the same things at the end of the day. We just do them in a different way. And so I think culture has, CrossFit has had, I guess, a difficult time of getting people to understand that. But one of the things that I think is an intentional driving force at our gym is we're very interested in creating a very diverse culture so people can know this is for everyone. Yeah. Um, and it takes one step at a time. And the more people that look like me, the more people that look like Michelle that actually do it and we get out in the community and we put on Facebook, then the more people that look like us will see us and say, you know, I've been wanting to try it, but I didn't think. All right, well, let's stop that. Every Saturday. Come check us out. It's free. Is there, Come see what it's all about. Is, so is there, um, I mean, when you got in, did you feel like there is, is it inherently discriminatory? I wouldn't say that. Um, now, I'll say this. I, I have been a little disappointed with a lot of CrossFit gyms. There's very few, and I'm a big supporter of the few that I do see this with. A lot of CrossFit gyms are about community. That's a really big component of what we do. Uh, every we gym owner says that. Every gym owner says that. Every gym it's owner says that. Whether it's good or not, they whether, say that. Whether it's good or not and whether they mean it or not and whether they're right. actually practicing it or not. I think it's disappointing because I drop in gyms everywhere I go, every state, every city. And one of the first things I look for is what was the welcome? Um, you know, I think CrossFit as a whole promotes this message that we're very welcoming. But in practice, a lot of places don't live it. So y'all see me here a lot. Right. Hey, I didn't know that was you sitting there. I thought that was Emily. Um, <laughs> y'all see me here a lot. That's Sarah, by a the way. Big reason, <laughs> a big reason. 
a big reason why I'm here is because I like what y'all do. And when I met y'all, y'all had that same spirit of what I like to see in other gyms. And I think we do a great job of implementing that. Now, I say that to get back to the point of, okay, it's already difficult for black people to walk in a CrossFit gym's door because of the perceptions that this ain't really for us. They already have that barrier. Let's eliminate this other one that makes them think, well, shit, maybe I really didn't belong there. And I can tell you when you walk in a place that's as intimidating as CrossFit, where you have a bunch of really good looking people that are really strong and in many instances maniacs, probably most of us. Yeah. There's an intimidation factor from the moment you walk in and see people. Let's help bridge that gap. And particularly in the black community where the thought is it's not for us. Let's eliminate that stigma and we got to do it one person at a time. So it's a cultural thing that needs to be broken down. If there are other reasons driving why CrossFit culturally has not been a fit or has not seemed to be a fit, I'm sure there is. I may need a cocktail or two to kind of dig deeper into that. But I just think on the surface, it's because we haven't been doing it. Yeah. And the more we do it, I think the more it's going to start to open up. And to piggyback off of what Randy's saying, this is a prime example of actually a new member we just got this week. Um, she's here from out of town. She's doing travel nursing. She's a black female. She's done CrossFit in her area. Um, and she said she emailed a few gyms about, hey, can I drop in? Um, she went to one gym and as soon as she walked in, she's like, they pretty much just like gave it a cold shoulder. We're not naming gyms. I hope it's not. Me. No, 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 we're not, no, 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 <laughs> it, it we're, not, not we're not, we're not naming no, gyms. No, 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 we're not naming any gyms <laughs> right, right, right. or anything like that. But she said she just walked in and she said like, nobody really spoke to her, didn't tell her anything. Like she just stood there. So she's like already uncomfortable. She said she was the only black person there. Um, so then finally when she came to our gym and we're just like, Hey, what's up? Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. Yeah, like whatever. We probably asked and her then, what's our favorite cocktail was the first question we had. Yeah, just that. But it I'm was just kidding. such, and she was just like, y'all have no idea like how awkward it was over there. Like she didn't even want to like drop into another gym in the area because she felt That's so tragic. uncomfortable. Tragic. And so That's why we're sitting there and I was like, wait. People y'all say really? Lanyap Fitness and I say Rue Fitness because yeah. that, what you said, yeah. can ruin it for every other CrossFit yes. gym. Yes, and then Mark. she said the gym that she went to um, actually messaged her and was just like hey when you come and visit us and she like i don't know already, already been visited. there like wow Oof. you know and that's then, embarrassing you know so look, but i'm just saying, i get but it that's that the... could be a mistake and so i don't want to hammer them too much for that piece right but it is a little telling that man y'all were that out of touch with a new person y'all don't even know she came right but just to go back to like the whole intimidation the of being number one getting black people in the door but then number two it's like you go there that's not welcoming you know, like you're already on the defense. There's nobody that look like you in there to even come up to you and be like, hey, to make you even feel a right. tad bit. You know, so it's, it's important. like Michelle, all that does go hand in hand. What is your breakdown of demographics in your gym? Do you know? Oh, we got a lot of oh, everything. <laughs> um, oh, man. Um, pretty diverse, right? Very diverse. It, yeah, if, I would say. I, I'm going to take a stab at this. I don't know this for certain, but if I had to guess and look, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush. So. Black versus white. And y'all, I'm okay with being called black. Yeah, I actually prefer black over African-American, yeah. believe it or not. That's a different subject. But um, the black-white dynamic, it's it might be 50-50. It's, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. pretty close. It's yeah. pretty close. And uh, we have, a, as of recent, a very, very strong Asian community as well. And Hispanic. Uh, and Hispanic, which I'm yeah. very encouraged about. So it's it's all over the board. Yeah, which I'm is. very, very happy so about. So we have at Rue, we have like 200 members. Mm-hmm. And... What do you think, Sarah? 15, 20 people are black. Um, and I'm not happy about that. Right. You know, like I, and 
I don't know what the answer is to increase the diversity in my gym. I'd love to know, is it my location that's hampering me? Is it the vibe we're giving off? I don't know, um, but I want to be welcoming. Recently, this past week, ironically enough, we've had a giant spike. Nice. um, Good. In that. So I'm super excited about that. I can tell you, and I don't know how this is sound, but I'm just going to be super honest here. When a black person walks in our door, I almost am overwhelcoming because I want to. Like, oh, like, yes, thank you for coming here. Please come here. I want you to be a member of our community. I want to increase the diversity in our community. Um, I I hope that doesn't come off weird. No, but I I think you you point to a very good question. There's a number of factors that, okay, specific per gym. um, I think a big driving force that helps our gym is our location. Um, We're in Orleans Parish for one, which is 68% black. Right. Um, I think. In my opinion, if our gym did not have a significant representation of black people there, the tragedy would be even greater, in my opinion. Now, I can tell you, most gyms in New Orleans don't necessarily still look like that. I can't speak to them, but I think it has to be, in some instances, intentional. And part of what we've been able to accomplish intentionally is some of our core members that are the biggest mouthpieces of the gym, which most of your members are not. 90% of your membership base does probably doesn't speak a whole lot about the gym when they're away from the gym. That 10%, though, they talk about it all the time. Right. I'm one of those. We happen to have a number of members that are black that speak it, talk it, live it, right. breathe it, and they bring it everywhere they go. And the people around us at some point are like, God damn, you know what? I'm going to just go to the gym so Randy can shut up. And sometimes that turns into a positive thing. Sometimes it's they show up one time and that's it so I can shut up, which doesn't shut me up. But anyway, I think when you have that core group of people that, one, can identify with folks in their community that are also black, but they speak it. That's when you start to drive it. And man, once that train, y'all know how a business works. Once the word of mouth gets there and then this person likes it and that person likes it. And then out of the five people I brought in, one of those five is one of those 10 percenters. They're going to start bringing five people. And it just does this. Um, COVID obviously did not help. Right. right. But you know what? But it was like it that before. It. it was like yeah. that before. It was like and that before. My thing is, too, on the reverse side is that, yeah, that's great. But then when you do have that white person that walks in and you're like, oh, my God, like, they got a class of 10 people and seven out of the 10 people are black, you know, like what's the flip side of that, of that thought process of, do I belong here? Do I want to be at this gym? You know? Cause like as an owner, I think about that too. I'm right. like, shit, are we too diverse? Like, do we have too many black people coming in to where white people don't feel like they're comfortable Damn. walking in our doors? You I, know? Never, I never thought that you would think that. Oh yes. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, for or, me, or it's worried great, about it. You're worried yeah. about it from a business standpoint. Right. Yes. And I'm like, I don't want, because like, it's, a, have it's a white sport. So it's like, when you do walk in and you're like, I've been, you know, doing this and you're like, oh shit, there's a this lot of, different. It, we're different. Good. Right? But, you know, but it, on the flip side, that's intimidating for some people too. Cause they're like, I've never worked out with this many black people before in my life. And we're the coolest people. Like it don't matter. But once again, it's different. So it's like, how do you change that and like I said which I'm glad we're talking about it but it's like how do you change that perspective on the flip side of that as right. well so and, and I think I think a big part of that is your customer service um I think it goes back to exactly what you're saying yeah. the welcoming how you welcome every single person if you make everyone feel welcome then they won't be thinking about that right right and look you, you'd be surprised man I've gotten some comments from members that Honestly, I didn't know what impact I may have had on them joining or signing. We had a, 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 a I won't use names, but we have a, a young white couple that's members. And one day the guy told me after being there for three or four months, he was like, Randy, I wanted to share something with, with you. He said, I don't know if you know this, but you were the reason why I joined this place. And I didn't know you. And I'm like, 
damn, why? You know, he said, because I came here, man, you like, as soon as we walked in, you were like, hey, y'all, like, welcome to Land Yap. And you just started talking to us like you knew us. And that alone was enough to make me say, I want to be here. And I'm like, you know what? That's important. Yeah. Um, we don't have, Michelle aside, we don't have the largest group of tremendous athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some. Um, I don't consider myself in that group. I think oh, I'm okay. Oh, Randy, you're I'm, RX. I'm okay. I'm not. And he goes sees Jonathan three, four times a week oh, because of that. So damn. I stop it. He RXs sometimes. I'm, I'm RX amongst intermediate athletes. I'll say that. Oh, but, but so our pitch is not, man, when you walk in here, we got 25 people that can do 16 unbroken muscle-ups. That's not who we are. And most gyms don't have that. So, like, what is it that we're going to do that gets the average person in here to make them understand CrossFit is for you, too? Um, because, look, CrossFit is hard. I will not hold back on that. It's not easy, but the results cannot be disputed. So how do we get the average person that's intimidated by the normal gym to come in here where people on average look a little bit better than people at the normal gym? I will say that and I will defend that. Um, it's make people feel welcome. That's really it. Do it's you, not even about how many push-ups can you do. Do you feel welcome being around us? And that's really a big driver. Of I want to throw this out there just so everybody knows. Randy is like the nicest guy I know. So it's Facts. Facts. <laughs> Wife. That is real. Uh, like, did you hear this? Everybody feels that way. Babe. <laughs> Man, thank you. I but I love that. that Michelle's giving you shit about going to see Jonathan oh, three or four God. times a week because oh. my wife gives me shit about complaining about every injury I have three or four times a week. So, um, so do you, here's, here's one. So COVID or the coronavirus um, disproportionately affects the black community. Uh, I've, re- I've read a lot of reasons why I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to spew that information out. It might not come across properly. Um, but with that being said, uh, do you – that's the name of our podcast – uh, do you think it's incentive more for the black community to get involved more with maybe CrossFit or physical fitness? Or? I was about to say, yeah, you could probably you could probably answer that one. It, it damn sure better be. Um, and so I'm not just speaking this because you're asking this as a question. If you go back on my Facebook timeline, which I don't post a ton of stuff, um, but I posted something about a month ago when we were first opening back up. Michelle put out the announcement, hey, we're opening on this date. So I took that as an opportunity to say, hey, folks. And I wasn't just referencing to the black community, but I hope it fell on many ears in the black community, particularly amongst my friends. What better time or what more context did we need to understand the importance of health and fitness? Um, I personally know between eight and ten people that died of coronavirus. I've never known a single person to die. Randy, it's bizarre because I know of one. Which so and look, yeah, you know, so like the Which numbers is, play out that it's way, like, right? It's, it's it's weird in in every instance is someone of color, um, and so I've heard theories that vitamin D deficiencies, which is a real thing. In yeah, black people, I, a lot of people don't know that. That was a big education piece for a yeah, lot of people. Everybody has in probably a vitamin deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, but in black people, it's it tremendous. is tremendous. So every yeah. time I go to the doctor and I get blood work done, my numbers come back remarkable, and he always pre- prescribes me a vitamin D supplement. And it's because of the mel- mel- yeah. mel- melatonin. melatonin in our melatonin. skin. Yeah. Um, it blocks it for some reason. I don't understand. Melanin. Melanin, melanin. or melatonin? I think it's melanin. melanin. Melatonin is the sleep. Oh. Yeah, melatonin is the sleep. <laughs> That's I'm like. It's melanin. melanin. Edit yeah. that out, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we're leaving that We're all a bunch of dumb asses. <laughs> right. So listen, like, is vitamin D a contributing factor? Possibly. But there is no question in my mind, and we know this from t- statistics in the black community, our numbers of chronic disease, the proportion and rates that we suffer from chronic diseases are tremendously higher than the white community. 
That's a problem. And listen, there's historical context behind why all of that is the case, behind like the scraps that we were left to eat as slaves, and it became culture. And when culture takes on, it's hard to break culture because it's what you know and it's what you understand. And quite frankly, you live with it, so you don't know. What about education? Which is education. Education, correct. Um, and I can tell you culturally, there's some things that if you came to my house on a Sunday that I eat, that a lot of my white friends are like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's some of the best shit you've ever eaten." But I don't eat it often because I have enough education to know we shouldn't eat this three times a week. Every other Sunday, yeah, we can get away with it because I know my health and fitness is a driving force behind taking We could care also of my get into like food subsidies and the cost of eating well and, and social it's issues. Cheaper, and the fact that it's cheaper to eat a Big Mac than vegetables yeah. these days. Which, you know? which actually for your health is way more costly. And a lot of people right. don't understand that. Another thing too, um, and a good friend of mine used this term of food deserts. You go in a lot of poor, lower income black communities and there are no real grocery stores. There's corner stores. And if y'all have ever been in a corner store or if you've ever been in a convenience store, they sell foods of convenience, which generally are packed with shit that we should not be eating. Um, that is a problem. Also, a deeper dive. If you think about lower income families and what they have to do to survive and live off the income that they have, very often you have to work very labor intensive jobs where you're in some instances taking public transportation to work and back home, which is a three hour dead period in your life where you can't accomplish anything valuable for your family. Um, when you get home, you don't have the time or the energy to cook, or you don't necessarily have the money to go out and prepare like you want because you're constantly working just to make your lights stay on. That affects everything. Um, I know the days, look, we have a two-parent household. We have resources. My kids are very well-fed, even Not though the sometimes norm. they don't think. Um, and I can still understand the stresses of some days I come home and I'm like, shit, I'm tired. I don't feel like cooking. I don't feel like doing this. So imagine the family that doesn't have the options I have. Um, so there's so many things that drive it. And once again, it leads to worse health outcomes. We can get into the healthcare debate because there's another issue with healthcare treatment in the black community that's also different. Now let's talk about it. Well, okay. So once again, I don't have as much education in this space as I do on the food and the economic side, but I've talked to a number of people that are in the space. And if you go, it's just like going to a CrossFit gym. When you see a bunch of people that look like you, you feel a little more safe and comfortable in that space. Right. Well, think about our medical industry. Think about our engineering industry. For years, black people were not allowed to be doctors. Black people were not allowed to be nurses. We are now, but there's a 150-year gap that we missed. So there's a lot of catch-up that's going on. So you go to a doctor, and chances are my doctor won't look like me. I'm not suggesting that in our medical industry, doctors are intentionally treating black people worse. Because I think most of the time, it's not intentional. But we all have certain biases about how we treat people that we identify with the extra level of care that we might give, which once again, I'm not blaming doctors. It's part of culture. It's part of our history and it's part of something that we need to discuss. I, th I think there's part of that though, it, it kind of translates to everything. Like, so maybe when I coach someone in fitness or nutrition or whatever, uh, there's some relation to like life experiences. Right. You yeah. know, what I go through, like I, I might be able to hit something with someone a little bit better because we share no similar experiences yeah. where that's missing out for yes. you. And sometimes in the medical industry, I do believe this to be true. Um, a lot of times the treatment that you need is not necessarily physical. Sometimes it's just knowing the comfort of having hope that, man, he said something that makes me feel like I can actually beat this. Sometimes that's the driving force between a positive health outcome and a negative one. We'd be surprised what our brain does for that. Um, so it's a perfect example. I'll give you another example of the industry I'm in. Um, and I'm not afraid to speak this because it's truth. 
So in business development engineering, engineering as a, as a technical skill set and as a industry is predominantly white male driven. It's like overwhelming. Um, if I gave you the numbers from some of the engineering uh, organizations on how many black or female engineers there are relative to the entire base, it's tragic. Like it, the numbers are so starkly low. Um, but also from a business development perspective, one of the things that I struggle with is a big popular thing when it comes to business development when treating clients on like, we, you know, you go places and you do things together. Hunting trips and fishing trips. I didn't grow up hunting and fishing. And I can tell you, as intriguing as it is sometimes to do it, it's not my comfort zone. It's not something that I enjoy to do more than I like to go do CrossFit. Right. Or I'm going to give a very stereotypical, stereotypical example of what would be different. Imagine a world where business development trips meant we went and played basketball together. That would be a very different situation for a lot of people. And in the white community, that may not be something you feel comfortable doing. Well, guess what? I don't have the leverage to call those shots. So you know what I do? I got to kind of fit in. I got to try to figure this lane out. It's a lot more difficult for me to do that. I don't complain about it because I'm going to figure it out and it's going to be fine. It's real, though. Those little things matter. Um, and so to me, I take it as an opportunity that, you know what? I got to overcome that. I got to be better than you to overcome the things that are easy for you and still win the victory that you're trying to go after also. So, man, there's so many things that contribute to that on the surface I wouldn't even expect people to get. That is inherent advantages and disadvantages that people don't think about, though. Yeah. And, they right? don't, and, and that's part of the advantage. It's so ingrained that we don't even look at it. So yeah. it's not seen as that. And then people get credit for being tremendous at what they do. And they may be really good at it. They may not have been tremendous. They just had an opportunity that, quite frankly, I didn't have. I may be better than him at doing what right. he did. But I don't know that because the door was never open for me because of X, Y, and Z. So that makes me think of the word white privilege, right? Yeah. Um, and what do you think? Like when people really started saying this, was that about a year or two ago? Or how, In the last three, four years. I, yeah, last it's three, been, four it's, years. It's been a more popular term. And, and I'll be honest, like when that came out for the first couple of years, me, who I, I don't consider myself racist, uh, but maybe I am. I have no idea. Okay. Um, you guys know me. But <laughs> <laughs> Michelle doesn't. Randy does. <laughs> Bradley, I don't consider you racist. Right. Thank you, man. Uh, you uh, but I was like, this is bizarre. Like, I, I don't have privilege. Like, this is crazy. Right. You know? And I thought that. In the past year, I've kind of completely changed my mind on that. And right. I, see, um, I see it in a different light. Okay? And I think... It's how that message is presented. When you talk about it like that, with inherent advantages and disadvantages, and you explain it like that, it's pretty fucking clear. It's clear. It's but, pretty clear. But I see why it's not clear on the surface. Well, there's, Particularly if you've you can't do it in 144 characters, Randy. Right, like right. you cannot describe that in 100. And that's the problem yes. where most people are trying to um, figure out social issues via fucking Twitter. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Because the message generally is not going to land where you need it to land. Sometimes it does, but very rarely does it. Um, but, and, and look, I understand why you probably felt the way you felt. Because, quite frankly, I think part of what I like to try to bring to the table, I have a very diverse array of friends, not just associates, real friends that know some of my secrets, that know some of my history. They have taken care of my kids. They go and check on my house when we're out of town. Like, people right. I trust. And... I try not to miss a moment, generally over cocktails on a Saturday night. Let's talk about this. Let's bring it up. And let's do it now so that it's not in a mean spirit. And sometimes it turns ugly. But we always come back to each other and say, listen, this wasn't personal. This was a growing opportunity. 
And I think when you don't have those conversations, when you don't engage, um, i.e., and look, Drew Brees is a very popular topic right now. I think there's some other things to unpackage there about what he said and why it might have been a problem that may not be obvious. But I get why people don't understand. Now, in some instances, people don't want to understand. And that's what I appreciate about what you're doing. You're simply saying, look, I acknowledge. I don't know what I don't know. Help me understand. Right. And if after we do this, you still feel the same way you feel, all right. You live with it, but you're going to live with the consequences associated with you feeling that way. And maybe the way you feel, maybe it's better than the way I feel. I don't know that, but how do we get to that? How do we unpack it? I love that. Uh, Michelle, you said, and I don't know if you meant anything by this, but you said you needed to get out of the North Shore and move away. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if she meant by that either, but I... I think I know what she, I don't know. I heard that. I don't know. May- oh, well, yeah. I mean, I just, I grew up that way. Okay. And I, mean, I, yeah, I went to a predominantly, well, I would say two high schools. Um, predominantly white? Predominantly yeah. white. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, so Fountain Blue was definitely more, I, I don't want to use the word racist, but definitely more prejudiced than what Slaughter was, which is actually why I transferred. Um, yeah, I've had several incidents over there. Can you explain um, that though? Like when you say prejudice, I, I want people to hear like what just, makes you say that. Just the treatment. Um, if that school, I would say they had maybe 800 kids, maybe 90 or a hundred were black, if that many. Um, wow. but it was just super segregated. So you had your blacks that stayed in one area and you had your rich whites who pulled up in Mercedes and you talk about white privilege, like who just did what they wanted to do. Never anything. Um, no consequence. Consequences like, yeah, just super rich, just like whatever it's my world and whatever. So, um, I remember this one incident, it was me and this was one of my white friends. We actually played basketball together. And so we used to go to her house and wait for practice. So I used to go over there sometimes we'll do homework. Well, one day we were going there and she's like, well, wait. And I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, well, my mom's here. And I was like, oh, okay. And at that time, I didn't realize, like, it was because I was black and I was at her house. Her mom her mom, and then we used to always go. work. No, well, she told me to stay in the car. Oh, and she geez. was she was just like, oh, well, wait, let me go see something first. Well, and I didn't, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, okay. You're like, thinking she had to go check something or whatever. And I didn't realize till years later. And then she came back and she was just like, oh, well, we're going to go somewhere else and study for the evening. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, like, years later, like, once again, as I got older and I realized who she was and where I was at, I was like, it was because I was black. She didn't want me in her house with her parents there. And it was just crazy. And I'm just like, she was the sweetest person, but. How old are you? Uh, right now, 28. So you're talking about, this is like fucking 10 years ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Guys, so this is 2010 she's yes. talking about. Yes. 2010. Yeah. So, and I was just sitting there and I was just like, Wow. And it was just like, I didn't even know, but I mean, I could probably give you numerous like things. I mean, we just left the beach this weekend and I hang out, everybody knows me. I hang out with nothing but white people. We've been friends since I transferred to Slaughter and they were, my friends met some guys who were calling them jungle fever because I was with them on the beach this weekend and this was in Gulf Shores. Yeah. You didn't tell me the story. Yeah, it was bad. So it was, it's just small stuff like that. And they're sitting there and they're like. Why are we even doing this Nuts. with all of this going on? Yeah. So we're sitting at the beach and they're getting called jungle. How'd fever. your friends not want to beat the shit out of those people? Well, cause I don't even, I know, I know. I'm just saying yeah. like, but yeah, they I came would... to me and told me and I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what do y'all want me to do? And a few of them was like, let's go over there and say something. And I'm like, no, like it ain't even worth it. Like 
they're immature and then but so I had, you know that that kind of brings us to today where you have to avoid the situation because it's right. more favorable for you when you look at it a long-term outlook to avoid yeah. it than if you were to start a confrontation right again who's going to be the one right that faces yeah, the most Yeah, because if I was to go risk. over there and be like, hey, why did y'all make this conversation? Like, da-da-da, it would have been a big problem. I would have been the bad person and you overreacting and all this stuff. But then it's like, but it's not okay to say stuff like that and then just think you can get away with it. So it was just one of the things that I sat down with my friends and I was just like, hey, like, you know. Were your friends shocked? No, they know that. I mean, we've been. It's not the I've, first time something no, like this. No, we've been in I've, like so many things. I've been to bars. We go to predominantly white bars. I've been told at the bar, you know, hey, you're black. Go stand at the end of the line. This was at, I don't even want to say the bar what name. The I'm serious. Fuck? <laughs> oh, and we'll, my, we'll and, talk about this afterwards. No, I'm serious. This is just the, but I hang out mm-hmm. with white friends. So it's like sometimes it's like. Here? Yeah. In New Orleans. I could, I mean, I can name the bar if y'all want me to, but. Yeah. Uh, it was Red Eye. Red Eye Bar and Grill. Oh, on, on Peters? Yeah. Ha! You know? And then the guy, and it was it was a crowded night, and the guy was just like, hey, you're did, black. Go get in the back of the line. We, nah, we, did, did he work there? No, no. He was okay. just there. Well, I said all fairness to okay, so he didn't the restaurant. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. It wasn't okay. that. Yeah, be careful but it was just somebody, once again, who was ballsy enough to Jeez. say that. And I'm like, I left crying, and I'm like, you know, well, what did I do? You know? And I'm it, glad I was not there. But, no, I'm just saying, but that's the stuff that I deal with. Right. You know, and they understand that, and like, they'll have my back with a lot of stuff, but then it's like on the flip side of that, like, you almost can't even respond because then if you respond, you're still the bad person. Now, if I would have turned around and said, you know what, shut the fuck up and, You'd have been you angry, know. You'd have been an angry black woman. It would have still been my fault. Like, I started the fight some kind of way. Right. And and I mean that sarcastically. So, but it, it's, yeah. So, it's, stuff does still go on, but it's just like, yeah, how yeah, do you respond man. to it? And You know what's crazy, guys, is that I, up until, I mean, like, I you know, I have friends uh, my friend Anita, I talked to a lot. Um, you know, rant, I have friends that are, you know, this sounds fucking tokenism, right? <laughs> okay, I'm not even going to say that anymore. I didn't think it existed like this. Man. How yeah. much of a fucking bubble am I in? Listen. Oh, I didn't think it existed like this. So I, my high school experience was totally different than Michelle's. Uh, the high school I went to, McDonald 35, I graduated in 98. My... Sister graduated in 95. My oldest sister graduated in 89, all from the same high school. And I can tell you, all of the years that we went, there wasn't a single white person that went to McDonald's 35. It was 100% black. Maybe two or three other, whatever other may mean. Um, totally different. And so when I left there and went to LSU, I can tell you, and this was kind of weird, um, one of my favorite movies coming up was a movie called Higher Learning with Ice Cube, Old Mel Epps. Yep. Um, and it was based on a setting at Columbia University. And the whole theme of that movie was exactly the things that we're discussing. Very intense, very extreme. To this date, one of my favorite movies. And I remember thinking when I was leaving to go to LSU, wow, I wonder if like, I'm going to experience the shit that was in the movie. And in some weird way, I was looking forward to it. As crazy as that sounds. So I can tell you, like, my experiences at LSU, experiences at LSU weren't nearly as traumatic as I thought it would have been. I can't say I experienced a ton of racism there are some things that stick out to me that i remember that at the time if i was a little more of who i am today i probably would have reacted differently but for example um i was in i'm in a business fraternity delta sigma pi and those are some of my closest friends to this day and i didn't have any like direct like in your face racism things happen to me but there was no question i was the guy like 
Randy, come and dance. Like, you can dance. Like, boy, man, you roll. And it was never like the black dude can dance, but it was always like, yeah, the black dude could dance. He got it. Now, part of that could be culturally, I know how to dance. And part of that is they didn't see it as a black dude, but there were little undertones that as I get older, when people tell me stuff like that, I jokingly just address it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, us black people, we know how to dance. Like, I joke and I say about it to make the room slightly uncomfortable to bring it back. I do it on purpose. But there were a couple of things that I know I'm me. guilty of some things like that because I have friend, friend of mine, guy in the gym, Patrick Mouton, one of our new members, he was on the drum line with me at LSU. Yeah. And, you know, we would crack jokes like that. Nothing like calling it, it out like anything. you but, but, you know, hey, Patrick's slept at my house, you know, and I felt like I could guy. mess with him like you that. You can say it. And probably he felt uncomfortable in certain situations, and I was wrong for that. And, man, listen, I, I haven't been around y'all enough for y'all to see this part of me, but Michelle knows this. It is not unusual on a daily basis at the gym for me to say something like that to our friends, white or black. I'm like, oh, that's racist. You stereotyping black people. And I say it to make things more comfortable about it. I say but it also to, the heads up. I'm, I'm, just, yeah. I'm saying it, one, as a, because the like truth the is beach. told in jokes. Like the beach. <laughs> the truth is told in jokes. Like, I'm saying this to make us more comfortable with talking about this. Because if we don't do it, it's going to always be taboo. And when it's taboo, we not, we're not going to address it. Yeah. Um, but, man, there's a couple of things at LSU, like, so one thing that was very interesting to me, um, and I don't know if this is still the case, and I don't know if y'all ever noticed this, in the now 102,000-seated Tiger football stadium, historically speaking, you know, the student section right. accounts for probably a tenth of it. Yeah, yeah, it's like from top to bottom, it's about ten. That's where the band generally sits, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Um, there's a black section, like for real. And it's such a black section in the bottom corner that if you saw an aerial shot of it and you knew what to look for, you can see it. And I thought that was strange when I got to LSU. I was like, oh, I didn't think it was strange initially because it was like, oh, Randy, come sit down here. And as I got a little older in my yeah. years at LSU, I started realizing like, damn, like this is the only section in Tiger Stadium that, that looks like this. Like, wow. So I talked to my brother-in-law who actually played football for LSU some years ago. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, it was like that back in 88, 89. And now this was like 98, 99. Is it still like that? I don't know. Um, it was like I that, tell you what I do notice. It was like I, as of like 2004. 2006. I do notice the Lily White section, which is, oh, it is the, a tremendously white section, which is the, the, the fraternity sorority <laughs> section. Okay, so that that's another story. I mean, yes. Um, and look on the fraternity sorority thing, I get it because if there was ever an example of where people gravitate to that makes them comfortable, it's sororities and fraternities. You're going matter of fact by default. I don't know if this is the case with predominantly white fraternities. I won't even say predominantly. Fraternities almost invariably are 100% whatever color. Like, it's crazy. But in many black fraternities, you almost have to be invited to that fraternity. So I get, like, by default, it's going to perpetuate. Like, you're going to look similar to how I look because my mother was a part of this and your mother was a part right. of this. So your legacy and whatever. But another thing um, that happened, and this was like... You mean like a carnival crew? No, no. Yes. <laughs> Yes. There's certain parades I actually don't go to. Can you because, name them? Absolutely. I don't go to Rex. I don't. And maybe I don't give Rex the benefit of the doubt of who they are today. I know enough about their history to know I don't get the impression that a whole lot has changed. Well, on the surface, it definitely has not changed. So then people be like, well, what about Zulu? There are plenty of white people in Zulu. Plenty now, we people. can have the argument about the blackface thing and what the intent is there. Let's have that discussion some other time yeah. because there's a lot of history there. But there is no question in Mardi Gras Cruz it's significant. Um, but so there was a, there was a time at LSU, this was probably my first real example of like, what the fuck? Like with cops and like racism. 
So I used to work at Hibernia Bank, which is now Capital One. And I had a very professional job, in my opinion. I used to dress up, slacks and ties to go to work, uh, work my ass off. So one day was an off day. And people that know me know I don't do a whole lot of in-between dressing. I'm either in suit and tie or I'm in shorts and T-shirt. I'm comfortable in either one. Whatever. So on this day, I was off, and I left class, and me and my roommate hopped in the car to go to the bank. I had to go pick something up from the bank. And there's a neighborhood near St. Is it St. Joseph? It's an all-girl Catholic school in Baton Rouge. It's a, it's a very, I won't say prestigious, but it's a very quiet, rather affluent neighborhood. And if I had to guess, it's overwhelmingly white. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty certain, but I don't know, but yeah, I'm I don't know. pretty certain. So we're riding down, I forget the street that lines the neighborhood with the school. And on my way back, I can tell you what I had on. I had a backwards North Carolina hat on. I had on a Toronto Raptors jersey. I didn't have as many tattoos as I have today, but I had a couple of tattoos on my arm. I was still rocking earrings at the time. And my roommate was sitting next to me. So we're driving back and we get pulled over. It's one o'clock in the daytime. And two cops get out. They go to each side of the car. The one over here tells my roommate to get out the car. Let me talk to you. So my roommate was talking back to him, and I'm like, man, shut up. Is your roommate black or white? He's black. Okay. Went to McDonald's 35 with me. He's still one of my best friends to this day. And um, he's arguing with the cop. I said, David, shut up and get out. Part of why I feel that way is, historically, I'm like, man, you don't talk back to cops. I can tell you I have tons of white friends that have talked back to cops a lot. Uh, it's have, my right. You work for me. I have. I can't get away saying that shit. And Brad, I believe you. I believe I you have. have. <laughs> I can't say that. And, and I'm not afraid to, which listen, is sad. You're not right? afraid to. And that's another cultural thing that gets missed. Like, that's a real thing. I don't talk back to cops, even when I know I've done nothing wrong. But I'm afraid that if I talk back, it's going to end that's bad for it, me. Yeah. Well, so the cop tells him to get out. He finally gets out. They go and talk. The other cop asks me for my license registration. I give it to him. So I'm like, officer, did I do something wrong? I'll talk to you in a minute. So he went. Ran my license plate, ran my driver's license, and I guess I came back clean. So he comes back, and my roommate gets back in the car, and he's pissed. Well, actually, before we got back in the car, the cop comes to me. He said, so um, you're from New Orleans, huh? I said, yep. He said, um, how many times have you been in jail? This is his first oh, question. God. That was his first question. How many times have you been in jail? And I looked. Like, I said, uh, never. never. I've never been in jail. Okay. He's like, well, look, um, you guys are good to go. Um, your car fit the description of a suspicious vehicle that was stolen in this neighborhood. Bullshit. Let, let me tell you what my vehicle was. It wasn't a white Toyota Camry. My car was a 1989 Chevrolet Beretta. They don't produce Berettas anymore. Like, no one's stealing that car. Nobody, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go further, though. Let's say somebody would want to steal that car. My Chevrolet Beretta was one of probably three Berettas in Baton Rouge. Like, I, you'd never see a Beretta because they weren't. This was in 1999, 2000. It was a 1989 Chevy Beretta. They stopped producing Berettas in like 94. It was custom painted, this royal like sparkling blue. Like it was almost like a purple. I used to get teased about it. So it's probably one no of one. No one has this car. So for him to tell me that, I'm immediately like, you're full of shit. I didn't tell him that. But I'm just like, so my roommate gets back in the car and he's pissed. So we pull off. I said, man, what, what happened? He's like, man, you know what that MF asked me? How many times have you been to jail? He asked him the same question. So that's a, that's so it's a normal like, stop. That can't be normal protocol. It's, it can't yeah. be like your first line of questioning when you pull me over because I fit the description of a car. Also, when you know good and well. They know car, if they run your driver's license, yeah. They knew right? good and well. I've never, they knew I had no record. So that was like something that stood out to me. But, you know, it didn't make me like really pissed and angry. Maybe for a little while, but part of me just made me understand like, oh, 
I see how this goes. And so there were a number of other small instances throughout my time at LSU that told the line of like, okay, yeah, this probably wouldn't have happened if I looked a little different. Right. But I never let it rise to the level of this is going to impact what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. But y'all, I am one of the fortunate people that didn't have a ton of instances. I got friends that, man, when I tell you, like I know of stories of police officers pulling people over, getting them out the car and like putting shit in their pocket. And they say, oh, look what I found. It happens. It really does happen. I don't know that it happens similarly in the white community. I don't have reason to think that, but I can tell you invariably it happens. Um, it's real. And look, I have another incident recently of a, about a unawareness. Um, one of our neighbors, white male, and he posted something very recently that it was basically like, pull up your bootstraps. Like, if you practice more self-responsibility, you wouldn't have to deal with a lot of this stuff. And he alluded to how me and my family, you know, don't do drugs, don't do alcohol, don't have babies out of wedlock. I don't even know how that shit fit in there, um, quite honestly. And one other one was like, you know, don't, don't, don't do anything illegal. Okay. Um, so one of the guys that's apparently his friend, black guy, was like, hey, man, I hear what you're saying, but I can tell you from my experience, and you know me, my family looks very similar to yours in scope. I have a wife and kids, and I work hard, and we don't get in any trouble. You know, I don't do drugs or whatever, whatever. And I can tell you that still has not protected me from some of the things I've dealt with. And it boils down to what I look like. So my wife ended up replying. So I get home. She's like, so I replied to so-and-so today. I'm like, why did you do that? Like, don't argue on Facebook. Like, it's not worth it. Right. And she was like, I had to. She was like, in my heart, I just felt like, no, I need to say this. And it was a very clean exchange, but it lets me know. I've been seeing a lot of people do that. It's that been, would never say sense. anything in a million years, and this week it. they're saying it. And so, yeah, man, like I think what's going on now, yo, this ain't the first time a black man has been killed wrongfully by a police officer. There's been many instances that actually don't get publicized on the internet. I'm aware of a lot of them because we talk about it amongst each other. But I've, I don't know if I've ever seen the response like this, which I have some hope that it's encouraging. Back in my brain, I'm like, hey, whatever, yeah. we'll see. I don't think anything's going to really change. But I've never seen the response like this, particularly when you look at these protests. There's a lot of white people protesting. It's younger white people. Great. I hope that is a change agent. Um, but, y'all, I also see some people that post stuff on my timeline that I'm like, man, I can't even believe this is allowed on social media. And I'm not against it being allowed. I'm saying that to suggest it's so egregious. One example, there's a guy that posted something very recently. He's, I wouldn't call him a friend. Y'all, there's a lot of people who are friends with on Facebook. Quaint. We're really just associates. You're like, associate. I met him somewhere and we friend each other. I did a lot listen, of unfriending this past week. Listen, and look, I, I have a slightly different take on it. Um, so this guy posted something. I was, we were in Orange Beach, and his statement was something to the tune of, and I'm trying to recall it because he actually took it down. He said, yeah, what was the name of the guy that got killed in Minnesota again? What? Oh, yeah. I get it confused with all of his stupid, ignorant supporters. And so I'm like, oh, wow. this wasn't a white privilege thing. This wasn't a... He's mocking the death of the man. No matter how you felt about this situation and the protests and the rioting, you just said, oh, yeah, his stupid support. So my first response was I was going to be very aggressive in my response. Then I said, you know what? You, there's an old saying, it's hard to win an argument with an intelligent person. It's impossible to win an argument against an idiot. Ugh, like, it's 100%. not worth me responding. But then I was going to unfriend him. And I said, no, I don't want to unfriend him because I want to see what else he's going to say. Like, I want to see how deep this goes. And y'all, like you can find examples on Facebook being posted. There are folks all across America that feel the way he feels. So as great as I'm seeing positive and hope, y'all, there's a significant group of people that are quiet, that feel a certain way that it's egregious in my nature. It's almost like 
why should we even have to have this discussion? Yeah. But it, it's real. I don't know that you can change some people. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but my, me and my family are going to live our life. And I'm, if somebody wants to talk about it, I am not afraid to talk about it. And I'm going to be very honest and truthful. Stand on the side of right. Do you think, or should I say recently, and I just want to know because maybe my perception is different because I'm team New Orleans, but is it different lately here? Because, um, I mean, I know the police force for NOPD is, I want to say, 58% black. I think so. So, okay. Or is it just ingrained? I, I, I think, okay, New Orleans has... I, I know they have a terrible issues. history. I know New Orleans so has a terrible history. So the police department, in my opinion, in my history, like, since I've been an adult, and I'll say a young adult. Um, so back in the early 90s, um, the police department was in its all-time pits. Um, I actually knew of some police officers that were indicted and sent to prison for 10-plus years because they were part of protecting a cocaine ring on Franklin Avenue. One of them was one of my old park ball football coaches and was the best guy you could ever meet. He was protecting a drug warehouse for some, some drug runners. Um, the department was so bad that the federal government had to step in and like revamp everything. Um, there's been bouts of times where it hasn't gotten quite that bad, but it's been bad. But I can tell you from my perception of the police department today in New Orleans, it's never been in better shape as far as like relations with people. Um, they got a lot of work to do, but I think it's in a good direction. I'll say that to say now, New Orleans itself, I think New Orleans is a little different than the rest of the nation when it comes to how we relate to each other and how we get along with each other. Most places you go, Baton Rouge included, it's very clear on where the wealthy, affluent neighborhoods are and where the not-so-wealthy. Like, it's a line. It's very poor over here. Over here, it's, it's, it looks like Disney World. In New Orleans, in some neighborhoods, particularly uptown, you can go from block to block and they go from a million-dollar house to, like, a really, really, really drug-infested neighborhood within a block. Yeah. We're very closely related. That's a very extreme way of putting it. But also, culturally, we have a lot of, like, yo, let's come here and feel good. Let's have fun. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, like, let's love each other. There's still an undertone that we pretend in many instances, but a lot of it's genuine. Um, so I think what you're seeing with the protests in New Orleans, even though it got a little ugly the last couple of days with tear gas, from what I understand, generally our protests have been peaceful and the police have generally been with the people that are protesting. From what I see, I've not been on the front line protesting, so let me be clear. I'm just going by but from what, what I, I see. Gather, yeah, the from reports. people I know that yeah. have been out there. And we have a, a number of friends that are police officers. And in other places where you see a lot of looting and rioting, I don't anticipate you'll see that here because... I think we're in a better place in some respects than a lot of other places. And I am not trying to minimize where we need to go as a city. There's much we need, we need to do to improve. But I think relative to what we've seen around other parts of the nation, a lot of our issues have kind of been not masked, but we've, we've kind of like gotten over a lot of the things that generally are plaguing other communities because of our closeness with each other and because of our tourism, laissez-faire. Yo, let's just be happy. Let's have fun. Um, Drew Brees, obviously, he little, stepped in a little, he little, little match. Um, yeah. Whether you agree with what he did or not, he lit a little match. And I can tell you what I am seeing. The division on my timeline is very racial. Um, not a lot of people are coming out and supporting him. But generally, the few that are, I, don't, I haven't seen any black people. Um, there's something there. And whether we're wrong, white, right, or in between, there's something there. Um, I have my reasons for thinking why Drew Brees did what he did. I thought it was not... It wasn't appropriate. I'm not mad at Drew Brees. I don't know Drew Brees. Um, I wish people didn't take things so personally from people that they didn't know. I, that's just how I I'm think built. people forget there can be multiple truths yes. to every situation. Yeah. Yes. Whereas yes. in like 
for him, like he can be wrong. It was insensitive. He shouldn't have said anything. And at the same time, he can also be, you know, an okay dude that's done yes. a lot for a lot of people. My understanding you know, about Drew Brees truths, before this know? situation was he's a tremendous person. So, like, be pissed. You be pissed at what he said. You know, let's let's see what he's gonna do. I think to he messed overcome up. That. Yeah, he, he messed absolutely up. messed up. Um, you know, but let's see what he can do to overcome it. Right. Yeah. Look, my issue with what he did, I don't. Do I get the thought that Drew Brees is racist? Because no, I don't feel that way. Um, there's three areas that I think you can check boxes on what he did and when he did that we need to determine. It's an intelligence thing. I think Drew Brees is a very intelligent person from what I see. And it's an awareness thing. He should be aware. He should be. Right. Yeah. Um, as a 41-year-old, very wealthy white male, I can see where he's protected and in a bubble. He plays football all his life with 70% of his team being black guys, particularly many of which protect his ass. The awareness thing should not be an issue with Drew Brees. The issue that I have with Drew Brees is, bro, three and a half years ago, you took a lot of heat on your stance with Colin Kaepernick. Fine. A lot of that's been forgiven, particularly in the black community. People have kind of, a lot of people haven't. It doesn't get talked about on social media, but in places where I'm at, a lot of people have not forgiven Drew Brees. But, okay, let's say that you got past that. Four years later, during the midst of this, during the midst of this heightened, sensitive situation, your stubbornness and your selfishness said, I don't care. I'm digging in. That is where I have an issue. It's like Drew Brees. Whatever you it's feel, not the hill to die like, on, bro, like, now I can't say he should have just shut the fuck up. Excuse my French. The reason why I can't say that for him is because he was already on record three and a half years ago with this similar situation as saying something. By doing that, you almost have to respond. Yeah. Because People you're a celebrity. for him to say stuff. Yes. They were like, what, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Why hasn't he coming out to say yeah. it? So he had to say something. He had to say yeah. something. Um, he said, in my opinion, one of the worst things you could say in this moment, even if you feel that way. You dug in. And here's the other part about Drew Brees that I recognize. Drew Brees is not just a person. He's a walking business. Drew Brees, who is your client? Like, who is your base? Who is it that comes out and helps you to make the $25 million a year that you make playing football? There's a reason you get paid that. It's not just because you're talented. It's because the economics of football presents a large income for people that are good at football. Um, you need to be more aware and conscious of that. That's why Gail Benson, if I had to guess, and I don't know how Gail personally feels. I don't care. Gail Benson was out very early on saying, we stand with the black community. Hashtag, right. She said hashtag Black Lives Matter. Sean Payton came out fast. Drew Brees, whether they're doing it because they really mean it or not, they understood something. They understood, man, we live, in, we live breathe, and we get tax money and subsidies from our fan base, which is significantly black. Let's be very cautious about our optics here. And he seemed to kind of disregard that. And I don't know if he intended to disregard that or if he just tended to say, you know what? I said what I said. Okay. I'm not mad at you, but I'm also not mad at the response you get. You got to live with it, Drew. And boy. Yeah. He I, got drugged. He, like, he, 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 I don't think he expected this. No. Um, but he seems to be trying. I'll let his action speak at this point. Um, I hope he gets his teammates back. That's my bigger concern for the Saints. Like, bro, you just destroyed a product possibly that we all love and support. Super Bowl run. This, this, this might be our last chance for a while. He just, because of his actions, which in my opinion is what makes it selfish in some ways, no matter how you felt, man, just consider what's going on around you. Be careful about what you say. But then in the same tune with like the rest of the world, do you think this is like a good learning opportunity for him? Like, I, or do you think he's going to be able to be like, all right, well, help me to understand like, 
why I feel this way so I can... Whatever bubble he thought he was yes. in has been it's, certainly it's a, burst. It's a good question, yes. but okay, I think there's two ways it could go, generally speaking. It could be a learning experience, which I hope it is, or it could be a scare tactic. I hope it doesn't end up being that. Meaning, a lot of people are not giving Drew Brees the benefit of doubt of his apology because they feel like, oh, too little, too late. Of course you're going to apologize now because look what happened. You got no alternative. Yeah. You have no alternative. And I think in some ways they're right. Um, he did have an alternative, but what's the smart alternative? He have the alternative. Bro, you better come. Hat the hand. alternative of not apologizing is exactly. not the way. It's to not go. the way to go. Because at that at that point, he can and he would he would make a whole bunch of other people happy that are trigger happy on the he internet. Would. Exactly. But, but, but for I, his life, for what he wants to do, that's not. Bro, if you want to live here, yeah, Drew, Drew, you, or you, you want to be on NBC as an analyst, post this. I cover assure football, you, NBC like or his agent, they're and thinking all about the Saints it. Have called him and like, hey man, listen. We need to get this fixed. Like, this is a nightmare for us. Because, yes, you have to think about Drew. You're representing not just Drew Brees, whether you like that or not. In some respects, you're representing a city. Yeah. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily like to subscribe to that because of how I feel about athletes. Part of me is like, man, I can't emotionally invest in athletes too much because I understand most of them are more flawed than some of us. Because they're professional athletes and they make millions of dollars a year, we give them the benefit of the doubt that they should be above certain things. Man, I don't know if y'all know some of these guys. I personally know some of them. Man, take that million dollars away. Some of them are not necessarily good people. I'm not saying Drew Brees is that guy. He, by all accounts, is a good dude. But he needs to understand, man, you're held in a revered position. Perception revered can be, position. is reality. Whether he likes it or not. So you need to understand it. And so I hope this was a learning experience for Drew Brees and not necessarily so a – Shit. Now, Michelle, I know you got. Sorry, I, I know you got to get to the gym to open it up for class this afternoon. I, I want to go over this, and we'll we'll end with this. Like, what are some solutions that can not move past this, but um, not help us better understand, but get away from all this shit, fix this shit? What do you think? What we're doing now, um, having conversations, uh, like Randy said, getting out of your comfort zone um, and just really communicating with one another and stop being afraid of like asking questions or, you know, um, just in general, just, yeah, just really getting out your comfort zone. Um, I, like I said, I predominantly hang out with my white friends. I'm out of my comfort zone all the time. Um and if something's weird, I ask questions. I'm like, hey, y'all, blah, 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 blah. And it should be the same way um, on the flip side, not more of like a scary thing. So um, I just hope people continue to like try to spread love, try to, you know, um, open up to being more diverse and really just try to go from there. Yeah. Um, I'll speak for me personally, and I'm not here to toot my own horn, but I'm clear if any of my friends know me. I've been – so I think one of the things that I try to do, and we talked about this a little earlier, I try to bring uncomfortable conversation among my circles. Yep. Oh, yeah. My work circles, my friend circle, my associate circle. Um, I used to caution doing it. I'm an I'm a open book now. Um, and, and part of it is if you know me and you actually love and respect who I am, you won't take it personal. Like I'm doing this so that we can grow and so we can engage – and it causes some uncomfortable conversations. And there's no question it's probably run some people away from me. I'm okay with that. Um, like, I really mean that. Because if, if you can identify and point to me standing on the side of wrong, then I'll feel guilty about it. But if you can't do that, I'm okay with you leaving me because I spoke the truth. What can others do? Bradley, part of why I'm still like, man, you know, I have hope. But quite frankly, 
until I see real change, it doesn't matter. I think there's a group in America that has the strongest and swift, fastest ability to affect change. And it's the folks that, in my opinion, have been the very root of the problem. It's most of the time privileged white males that have a platform to affect change. We need them to be a part of it. Um, until folks that hold the cards, until folks that hold the power, until folks that hold the ability to affect legislative change, which leads to one more point about voting, those folks actually hold a lot of the keys and cards to help have the largest and fastest impact. I'm not saying it can't happen from bottom up. It can. Man, it's been a lot of years. It's been said, it's been that centuries. I don't see happening though. I, that's why I'm like when uh, you have yeah when you have that control like who who wants to let that go? I was thinking about that today actually. You know? Like if there's ever a year for voter turnout, this if, is it. If you sat on the sidelines before, get your ass up. Yes, and go vote. You got to go vote. Um, and look, don't just vote just because I say go vote. You need to educate yourself on why you're voting and who you're voting for and why you're doing it. Um, whether you like the political process or not. I don't care. Like you're gonna to have to deal with what goes into that political process one way or another. Pay me now, pay me later. I'd rather pay now. Um, I don't wanna wait because it's gonna be more expensive when it's too late. And I am not afraid to speak about who our president is. A lot of so I had an argument with a friend of mine recently about, you know, whether you like Donald Trump or not, what do you think about his policies? Y'all, listen. <laughs> um, when I identify with you as a bad person, I don't care what your policies are. I don't rely on our president with his primary goal being policy creation. I think in America, the primary role of the president is he's a tone setter for the nation. We have enough intermediary government agencies. We have enough Congress members. We have enough state and local elected officials where we can identify a little bit easier with that policy will affect us a little more impactfully. The president needs to set the tone. And this guy at every chance, in my opinion, sets a tone that's exactly the opposite of what we need. He does the opposite of what he wants, of what we what we probably need to heal as a nation. And, yo, that's dangerous. It's a very dangerous precedent. So there's a lot to unpack there. And once again, we can have a one-hour conversation on that. But people need to vote. People need to not be afraid to get, engage in uncomfortable conversations. If you have a gift of speaking and you have a gift of background and knowledge and you study, you need to open it up. you got to be able to be the person to start it. And if you don't, you can't wait for others to do it. This shit's hard, and it's going to be hard, but guess what? It's been hard for 400 years for a lot of people. So um, I get, and we, me and one of my friends had a conversation just yesterday about they feel like, man, as a white person, I feel damn if I do, damn if I don't, if I say something or don't say something. No matter what I say, it's going to be taken wrong. And I'm like, I get it. And my, Welcome my, to my life. My thought is like, well, years. shit, people have been comfortable with that for decades. So I'm sorry you're a little inconvenienced now about what you can say on social media. I need people to stop seeing it that way. Like, stop feeling like, oh, I'm the victim now. I'm, I'm sorry. Damn. Like, let's not personalize this. Let's understand the bigger picture. And, y'all, once again, I'm saying this from a place of a guy that, no, I've never been arrested. I've never been hit across the head with a baton. I've never had a police officer put drugs in my pocket and then arrest me for it. Um, I live in a very nice community. I have a very nice house on a corner. Um, my kids go to Catholic school that I pay for. My wife owns a small business, and I have a well-paying job. It would be very easy and comfortable for me to sit on the sideline and say nothing. That is also a problem. I would be yeah. no different than the bubble white male that I refer to. I'm no different. I have to speak up for people that don't quite have my platform. I have a tremendous platform. I know people like Bradley that says, hey, man, you want to come talk? 
you damn right. Yes. I have friends that won't get that invite. So you know what? I have a responsibility, and I take it very seriously, and hopefully it impacts one or two or three, and then they'll impact one, two, or three. And it's just it's a numbers game at that point. We'll get there, man. I, once again, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing because it's a little stronger than what I've seen before. I have no reason to rest, though. Like, yeah. 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 We'll see. We'll see. I think when the virus calms down and riot and looting stops, if it stops, um, that's when the true test will be. Like, okay, now that things when are quiet, are we going to let it stay quiet? I, you know, I, I want to throw this in before I end because I, I have to, as maybe of a high of opinion as I have on myself, which is not a good thing to have, um, <laughs> I have to check myself because I can look at Facebook. I told Sarah earlier today, like, man, I am tired, like emotionally tired and i have to think of myself well i just go home to my house in lakeview with my two kids yeah, and right, you know right i'm not dealing with any shit right mm-hmm. you know why am i tired because right. i'm listening to podcasts and looking at stuff on social media right. that's fucking ridiculous right and i get it i get it you know but you and everybody don't let yourself fall in that trap like look hey you are experiencing that shit's much worse out there yes yes consider consider what other people are going through and that's a good, but it's a good exercise for you to go through um, and for you to acknowledge that hopefully other people that may be going through what you're going through, they're okay with saying, you know what, he's right. But once again, it's a step at making this not personal. Like, stop making yourself the victim and start understanding, yo, there's people hurting, there's people crying, there's people suffering. Um, I grew up with a lot of people that are dead, that, are my, that would have been my age because they were victims of their communities. I'm talking about a lot. 80% of my parkball friends are either dead or in prison. I'm not exaggerating that number. Um, and some of them were responsible for killing some of those other guys. Like, that's a real thing. I got to see that. I got to know it. I got to understand it. And part of what I also understood was, man, it's a moral value thing. It's a compass. Like, what people don't understand about what's going on in some of these poor communities is the law is not necessarily on your side if there are really some people that really do illegal activities really to feed their family because they feel like, shit, I can't keep up if I don't. You know, I got arrested when I was 15 and it's on my record, nobody will hire me, I'm forced to do this. I either got to go dump trash, uh, I might have to sell drugs. It's a cycle that needs to be broken. And it's a cycle. And what ends up happening, man, so, okay, if someone comes into your home and assaults you or your wife or your kids, your remedy to that is to call the police, they come out, they arrest the person, the court system is supposed to give you justice. If you sell drugs, you can't call the police when someone came and robbed you of your product. So what do you do to enforce that not happening? Again, and part of enforcement is to deter behaviors. Let's look at the psychology of what enforcement of law is. It's so that not only are we going to punish you for what you did, hopefully it's harsh enough so that you'll never do this again and people around you will see, man, you can go to jail for 10 years for assault. Well, what happens on the street when someone robs you and you do nothing about it? I'll tell you all what happens. It's the same thing when someone punches you in your face when you're a kid and you don't punch back. Everyone saw that. And those that saw that, they're going to either take up for you or they're going to be like, oh, he's weak. Yeah. Or I robbed him once. He ain't do nothing. I'm going to do it again. So what, what people do in response as street justice, they take action. That action is equally illegal, but in your circumstance, it was the right thing to do. So I always tell people, like, be careful judging your good and bad on your moral compass on others. Some people, like, I legit, I grew up in a community where... If you ask somebody, is it a good thing to go and shoot that person as retaliation? They will say, yes, my, my family taught me that's a good thing to do because you have to do it. Yo, that's real. Like, as, as crazy as that sounds, that's a real thing that people live with. 
and there are communities across America that really live with that, it's sad. So I'm always cautious about how critical I am of people that are out here doing things that they're that are illegal because I'm empathetic to know like, man, I grew up with kids that when they were 12 and 13, that's all they knew. How do I expect them to do something different? Like, why would I expect that? Just like the way my parents raised me, I would get in trouble if I did something opposite of what they raised me on because they say I know better. Well, this is what they know better. Yeah. Like they know this is the way to do it. And yes, I wish they knew a different way. How do we fix that? that Man, that's say, yeah. like good luck. Um, but it won't happen until people start to have an understanding and listen and engage and realize, put yourself where they're coming from. And stop Maybe having so much judgment. Stop judging. Like, that's the thing. It. Man, like it's whatever. But once again, that's another topic that can be discussed. No, and I love that. If you want to affect change, you affect change with the youth now. Yes. And I'm talking about. You got to start early. Five, six, seven, eight, you nine year olds. Now, you know, um, it's real. So guys, we'll get there. I appreciate y'all being. I appreciate oh, you. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Um, it means a lot. I do want to do it again, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, where can everybody find Lanyap Fitness on social media? Uh, we're on Facebook at Lanyap Fitness and also Instagram at Lanyap Fitness. Um, so you're more than welcome to come you, stop by. You want to put your cell phone number out there so people can call you? Oh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> you can send me you a message You can find on Lanyap on, Fitness. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> Uh, you can creep the on DMs. the social media. Yeah. So, um, and if you want to check out Randy, it's at Smitty Go Hard. At Smitty, I was gonna say, I, I, that's, is that what it is? At it Smitty is. Go Hard. It, that's my Instagram. How do I know it? You don't know. It. I know. So, Look at S M I T T Y G E A U X Hard. It's on my yes. cup. <laughs> yes. I actually have a. Uh, my wife got a custom mask. It says go hard or go home. I don't know if you saw it yet with, uh-uh. a, with a thing on it that I always put it. In I my like clothes. it. I like it. I didn't. Uh, I, didn't want, I was. I don't want a custom mask. That's stupid. And then when I got it, I was like, damn, this look kind of good. I like this. <laughs> Whatever. All right. And if y'all want to check out Rue Fitness, it's at Rue underscore Fitness. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe to us. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, YouTube, etc. So we appreciate you guys having this. Thank you to the Rue family. Um, I yeah. really love these yeah. people. Check out Lanyap. Tremendous, Land tremendous community. We love y'all. it. Check so, them out. Yes. All right, guys. Bye. Thank you.